0: It's a considerable privilege to be with you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I I now live in Liverpool and we've been under special measures for the last week or so. So you're just beginning what we're already getting used to. It's, It's not so bad. And there's a plan in it all. I don't know what the Lord is doing in all this. I'm not even going to try and guess what the Lord might be doing. We shall see eventually. But there is a plan in it all and... Christ still rules the world and rules every individual in the world and we we can live in that great certainty. I'm going to speak to you from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 28. I'm going to speak to you about three wonderful words. And before I do, it might be wise to explain why. It's time for us to truly grasp the huge tenderness of God. That's one reason for preaching this sermon. God is wonderfully kind. The only thing we read about God is in Scripture is God is love. So, the expression isn't mine. It comes from a hymn writer who I don't don't always agree with, but the huge tenderness of God. I don't know who you'll meet when you get home, but if someone says to you, what was the sermon about? Tell them that, will you? The second thing is that Christianity is not just believing the right things. You can believe all the right things and still not be a true Christian. And Christianity is not all about behaving in the right way. You can behave wonderfully well and have a beautiful life, but still not be a true Christian. The great feature of Christianity is that we know the Lord. We engage with him. We have personal dealings with him. Sometimes people say, I'll have nothing to do with you. But we do with God. We have dealings with God. He's known to us. We interact with him. We commune with him. We enjoy him. Sometimes we wrestle with him. But Christianity is engaging with the Lord. And I think that will become clear as we proceed through this message. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, three wonderful words. In Greek, they are three words. But you're not Greek. In English... They are three words. Come to me. In Welsh, they're three words. Deo khatavi. Come to me. And they're tender words. And the way that Matthew writes them down here expresses that it means actually now. Not some time. Now it's nineteen seventy. My wife and I are married. She's gone safely to heaven now. Two weeks after we marry, I come home one Wednesday evening and she's crying. I say, whatever's wrong? What it's a bit of a shock when your new bride is crying and you're only into, we- into married life two weeks and a bit. Whatever's wrong, she says it's the money, she said. I've spent all the money. <laughs> I gave her so much money for the week and we, we didn't have much money in those days and she'd spent it all by Wednesday and she was crying. Now then, you men, what do you do when your wife is crying? Well, I don't know what you do. We all know what we should do. Come here. That's all. Right, we fast forward 40 years. I come home one Tuesday evening and my wife is crying. Whatever's matter? It's the telephones, she said. I've picked up a big bundle of washing to put in the machine and I didn't know that the the hands-free phone was underneath and I didn't know the mobile phone was underneath and they've been washed and they've been rinsed and they've been spun. And of course they didn't work. Come here. Jesus says, Come to me. It's tender words. So we're gonna ask some questions. Number one, who actually is speaking these words? Well, it's the, it's the year 28, here we are in 2020, but this is the year 28. Jesus is 31 years old. And, and, and you, know, you know so much of the story. You know that before he was born, an angel met Mary, And said that she was going to bear a child even though she had no intimate relations with a man and The angel said and that child that holy one Which will be born of you Holy one Sounds like God to me And you know that Joseph was shocked when his fiancee was seen to be having a child and wondered what he should do about it. And the Lord, through an angel, met him and said, that child in Mary's womb has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this is in fulfillment of the old prophecy. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. And you know that when Jesus was born, the shepherds had a message sent to them by a whole company of angels, and one in particular. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And you know that when the wise men came they actually fell on their faces before the baby, the little child and worshipped him. It all sounds like God to me. And then apart from a few little things we're told nothing about Jesus until he's 30 years old. And now his name is spoken about more than any other name in the whole nation. Extraordinary things have been happening in Palestine in these last 18 months to two years. At a wedding, to save the embarrassment of the host, he has changed water into wine. Sounds like God to me. He has walked into a temple where part of the temple reserved for non-Jews to pray has been turned into a market and on his own, with extraordinary authority, he has dismissed the people and the stallholders, turned over the tables of the money changers and chased from the temple all those who, showed, who, who were selling sheep and doves. That's extraordinary authority. Looks like God to me. And in a synagogue, a Jewish church, a man possessed by a demon had stood up in the service and said, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus with a word had spoken to him and the demon had left him and the man was permanently cured. Looks like God to me. And a leper, yes, a leper, had said, if you want to, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I want to. Had touched him and the leprosy had left him. These were the sort of things which were going on all through Palestine, all over the nation because sometimes he was in the north and sometimes he was in the south. A paralyzed man carried by four friends was now walking. Thousands of people, lame, mute, deaf, blind, were cured. We'd been reading, if we have been reading through the Gospels, that vast crowds of sick people came to him and he healed them all. The world had never seen anything like this. Never before. Never since. A centurion's servant had been cured in a town far from where Jesus was at the time as Jesus spoke to the centurion who was worried about him. Walking into a little village where a widow was leading the funeral procession of her only son, he stopped the procession, touched the coffin, said to the young man, I say to you, get up, and gave the living young man back to the grieving mum. He went about doing good in a storm on the lake, in a boat which was rocking and pitching, in a boat where no one could stand up, where even the fishermen were afraid. He stood up and spoke to the wind and the waves like a teacher speaks to an unruly class and said, quiet, settle down. And the wind ceased, and the waves became calm. And the disciples asked, Who is this? Who really is it? Looks like God to me. A woman who'd had an issue of blood, a hemorrhage, for 12 years, just by touching his garment, was cured. A little girl in a bedroom, dead, 12 years old was raised as he took her by the hand and said, little girl get up. What a wonderful place it was to be living in the year 28 and to see that God was a man there's a man who is God and yet Two years later, they crucified Him. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all said the prophet Isaiah 700 years before that crucifixion. And they buried him in a tomb, a cave but on the Sunday morning after that famous Friday the stone was rolled back and there were the grave clothes completely undisturbed. But there was nobody in them. (laughs) And he was seen many times. One here, three there, two there, seven there, five hundred here. He presented himself alive over a period of nearly six weeks. And then, as people watched, he ascended into heaven. And we know that he sat down on the right hand of the Father. He who is always God became a man and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person And here in this verse, he speaks. And I didn't say he spoke. He speaks because Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Everything that Jesus ever said, he is still saying. So you have one of those days where everything is wrong and you go to bed at night and you just can't sleep. So you get up and you wander around and maybe make a cup of tea or do whatever you do when you can't sleep. And then you decide to pick up your Bible and it's still written there, you know. Come to me. And there's something wrong in your family. But it's still written there and he's still saying it. Come to me. And some of you are afraid to go to school or work. But it's still written there and he's still saying it come to me. And our nation's in a mess and it's very depressing. But he's still saying it. Come to me. And not everything's right in the church of Christ, is it? But 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year, and the extra one in the leap year. He's saying it. Come here. Come to me. So that's who's speaking these words. Now then, let's ask the second question. Who is he speaking them to? Matthew 11:28 Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden Those first hearers knew what labor meant Almost all the people who were listening at this particular occasion were people who worked in the countryside When the sun came up they got up and they worked and they worked hard And they worked through the heat of the day apart from a short rest And they worked through into the evening, late into the evening. And they came home aching and tired. And they would often go to bed saying, I can't face another day of that. I just can't go on. Have you ever said that? It's bigger than I am. I can't handle that. I just can't go on. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And they knew what that meant. A lot of their work was lifting and carrying. No cranes, no trucks, no lorries, no railways, occasional cart, frequent donkey. But there was a lot of carrying. Women carried. Houses didn't have taps who carried the water home. Everybody carried things every day and it was often very heavy. And sometimes people would say, it's weighing me down, it's crushing me. And we still use the expression, what's weighing you down? What's crushing you? What's getting on top of you? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Now some of you listening to me, probably here and certainly online, are not Christians. What's crushing you is the weight of your sins, as it should. I remember it happened to me I was a teenager. It became clear to me that God is holy and I wasn't. It became clear to me that God was just and I'd offended him. It became clear to me that not only were my sins many, but I couldn't break with them and they were condemning me. It was clear to me I could neither live happily or die happily. But I couldn't do anything about it. It was heavy. But I couldn't go on like that. It was breaking me. One day I was in a chapel. I hadn't intended to be. And there I was on the back row of the gallery. (laughs) And as the preacher preached, that sense of God became too much. And that sense of judgment became too much. And that sense of damnation became too much. And that sense of despair became too much. And then, suddenly, I knew, I didn't know how it worked, that Jesus on his cross was what I needed. Jesus had been on the cross and was now alive and I came to him. He's still saying it, you know. Come, come, come here. And some of you are not Christians, but you've got terrible problems, haven't you? Some of you are unwell. Some of you have a breaking heart. Some of you have such a breaking heart, you probably can't share it. Some of you are unloved, and some of you are just lonely. And there's a Savior who is saying, Come to me. And some of you are Christians, and some of you are backsliding Christians. You've been wandering. You've actually wandered quite a long way, but it's still there, you know. Come to me. And some of you have been very foolish by what you haven't done, and by what you have done. What is it with you? And maybe somebody here or watching has got an unconfessed crime. You know what you've got to do, don't you? But before you do it, do this. Come to me. And some of you, you wish your home wasn't like it is. Is it you? Is it your husband? Is it your wife? Your child? Your parent? What is it? And some of you when you look at the extended family, you, it's the tears that you fight back. What is it? A cousin? An aunt? a grandparent? A grandchild? And some of you, there's something at work which you can't do. Or someone at school you can't face. And there it's still written. All those who labor, all who are heavy laden, all those who are crushed, all those who say I can't go on, all those who say it's too big for me. I'm preaching to you a saviour who happens to be God, the God-man who's been where we are and has been tempted like we are and has been through all the experiences of human life that we have who now says to you, yes, and to me, come to me. Some of you are Christians and you don't know really whether you are or not because you have these problems of assurance and some of you have decisions to make and you don't know how to make them in a way which pleases God and some of you have unmet needs and you can't see how they will ever be settled and some of you are ashamed because you've been a Christian a long time now and you can't ever, ever think of anybody who's ever come to Christ because of you. And some of you look at the church and the low state of spiritual life which there is. And some of you look at society and you know that its great, great need is revival. But there's no sign of it on the horizon, is there? And to you and to all of us, nobody is left out. Engage with me, he says. Don't keep your distance. Come to me. So that's who's speaking and that's who he's speaking to. Now, last question. What exactly is he saying? What exactly is he saying? Come to me. Yes, okay, but How do I do that? Jesus Christ is invisibly present by his Holy Spirit. I know it's a mystery. It's also a fact. Now you know you can be sat next to somebody and keep your distance from them. You also know You can be that side of the chapel and you can be that side of the chapel and yet you can feel very close. Jesus is saying, don't stay away from me. Don't keep your distance. Get close. Come. And he's not saying you've got to settle all your doubts first. Come with your doubts. And he's not saying you've got to put all your fears straight first. Come with your fears. And some of you have reservations and questions. He's saying just just come. Just come as you are. Don't say your prayers. Pray. Pray. Talk to him. In your soul, it's not the words that really matter. Use words if you can or must. But talk to him. Talk to him about your doubts. Talk to him about your questions. Talk to him about your fears. Prayer is this. This is what prayer is. It is telling the Savior everything, yes, everything that is on your heart at the moment. And since you've said it all, and if it keeps coming back, you keep saying it. And it keeps coming back, you keep saying it. And if it keeps coming back, you keep saying it. And eventually it doesn't come back. And then you understand the promise. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus Jesus says come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest Now what does that mean Well, here's the prodigal son. You know the story. He takes half of the goods which are due to him when his dad dies. He goes off into a far country. He wastes it all. He lives an immoral life. And then he ends up with nothing. No friends. No money. No income. Nowhere to live. And the worst job possible, just looking after a few pigs. And then he thinks about the old home. And even the servants there are countless times better off than he is. He doesn't expect to be reinstated as a son, but maybe his father will take him on as a servant. So he says, I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. And then we read those glorious words. When he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now here's the question. How did the boy feel It was rest, wasn't it? Something wonderful went on. And it continued because before long he had the best robe on. He had a ring on his finger which proved he was a son. He had shoes on his feet which proved he wasn't a servant. How did he feel? What went on inside him? Jesus says here, I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your." souls. Come to him, but not with a view to leaving him. Take my yoke upon you. Here's the old experienced ox. It has on it this collar made of wood, but it's a collar for two. Here's the inexperienced ox. And now his yoke is shared now what's going to happen here well you come to christ to come under his yoke to be attached to him to never leave him again but never to live without him again and what happens here's the inexperienced ox but it doesn't matter it's yoked to the experienced one And gently, without any tyranny, kindly, without any cruelty, the older ox teaches the younger ox where to go, what to do, how fast to do it. Everything is learned just by keeping close. That's the picture the Savior is using. You come to him. You come to his yoke. You come to be guided by him, led by him, attached to him, close to him, to learn from him. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. We need to understand the huge tenderness of God. We need to understand that Christianity is not just believing the right thing or behaving the right way. It is a personal engagement, a personal dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a daily affair, it's an hour by hour affair. So there's the invitation three wonderful words come to me